This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Hi, I'm Katherine Yeager, designer of human-centric ways of working from the San Francisco area and a member of the Carmen Almanac Network. I invite you to listen to an episode from the Soil to Soil podcast, Connecting the Dots in the Life Cycle of Clothing and Material Culture, produced by Fibershed. In this episode, Can Mending Create a Cultural Shift? Guests Sonia and Nina Montenegro of the Far Woods talk about clothing being our second skin, yet we're disconnected from it. Here's an alarming fact. One dump truck of clothing is sent to a landfill every second around the world. We need more awareness around the ecological impact of clothing and textiles and our relationship with fast fashion. Sonia and Nina propose that we adopt mending goggles, that we fix our clothes through mending and patching to extend and renew their life. And with that mindset, fix other broken and damaged objects, including our human relationships. This mending process allows us to slow down and mindfully focus on the rhythm of stitching. We become agents of healing, embracing aging in our clothing and ourselves, and celebrating imperfections. The Japanese have elevated the concept of repair into the arts of kintsugi and boro. I was introduced to sustainable and slow fashion through my sister, Mary Yeager, a textile and fashion designer. Mending becomes upscaling when I put bees on wool sweaters to hide moth holes and transform a windbreaker jacket into a fabulous skirt. I hope you too will be inspired by Sonia and Nina. Welcome to Soil to Soil, a podcast connecting the dots in the life cycle of clothing and material culture, brought to you by Fibershed. Each episode offers a look at how and why our community is working to cultivate fiber and dye systems that build soil and protect the health of our biosphere. In this episode, we're exploring how we can tend to our clothing and how repairing, patching, and mending our clothing can be part of a cultural shift that values the people who labored to bring our clothes into being and reduces the impact of textile waste on the environment. I'm Jess Daniels, and today I'm chatting with Sonia and Nina Montenegro about how mending our clothing invites respect for the aging process of fabric and can even become an agent of healing our relationships with people, place, and material culture. Sonia and Nina are sisters, and together they are the designers and makers of The Far Woods. The things they make reflect their deepest desires about the world, and they seek to contribute to a great culture shift in which there is a land ethic a reverence for nature, a rejection of the dominant throwaway mentality, and direct connection to where our food and the things we use come from. Many of their artworks serve as educational tools and inspiration for deepening relationship to nature, food, and community. Their practice crosses disciplines, including teaching handcraft skills, beekeeping, and growing food to work toward an ecologically viable and socially just future. They are the authors and illustrators of 
Mending Life, a handbook for repairing clothes and hearts, which came out in March of 2020, and is a beautifully illustrated practical toolkit for repairing the clothes and belongings we love. It is also an exploration of how mending can be a gently healing practice in our daily lives and a powerful act of restoration, both for our clothes and our relationship to the world. In this interview, you'll hear about some of the specific mending skills and practices that Nina and Sonia take on, including their favorite mending projects, what they recommend to start with as a beginner for mending, and how they approach their ever-growing mending pile. And we'll also talk about how caring for clothing relates to their artistic practices, all of which are rooted in connecting to place. Thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. I'd love to start by hearing a little bit about how you developed a mending practice in your beautiful book, which is called Mending Life, a Handbook for Repairing Clothes and Hearts. You dedicate the book to your parents, and you also share a really sweet story about watching your grandma mend and stitch. Can you tell us a little bit about how those experiences shaped your practice and and share when you started taking that lineage up in your own hands? Yes, of course. This is Sonia speaking. All of those people in our lives were really influential. And um, when we were very little, we would watch our grandma take on the family mending. And that was our first exposure to it. But we also grew up in a lower middle class family that was super, super creative. Our parents couldn't really afford to replace something when it broke, but They also had this way of just never shying away from making things or problem solving. So for example, when the refrigerator was working fine generally, but the handle broke off, my dad would see that as a fun challenge and a problem to be solved creatively. So most people would try to replace that if they could, but our parents just really, um, they would repair things. And so we saw it all around us. There were chairs in our house that had been broken and kind of, you know, stitched back together with with string or the couch that the dog tore up had huge rips in it, and that would be sewn back together. But the truth was we were also totally steeped in this dominant culture of newness. So we were a bit embarrassed, especially as teenagers, by all these household hacks um, when our friends would come over. So it wasn't until much later when we learned about repair cultures from around the world, such as Japanese Boro, and some of the realities of the textile industry, and the truth about how garbage that we think we throw away is never really away away, that we saw that the mending mindset was a necessary and a beautiful way of living more consciously in the world. That's beautiful. And I think it, it's really sweet to imagine the, the hacks showing up in your household. And I think it matches well with your book, which is such a practical and fantastic guide to different repairs like darning and patching. And I was recently following along with the book um, to patch a big hole in my sheet. So it certainly works to help <laughs> meet that purpose. Um, but what I've also found maybe even more moving and impactful is the philosophical aspect and the moments of poetry in your book. 
Can you share more about that blend and how you've cultivated that heartful approach to in-depth to mending? Yeah, I mean, it's so multifaceted. You know, on one hand, mending is completely practical. It's just about closing up that hole in your sock so that you can wear it again or tearing the crotch in your... the crotch of your favorite pair of pants so that you can keep wearing them. But we've found mending to have such a contemplative experience that goes along with it that's really cultivated by this slowness of handwork and um, this focus of attention on a problem that are in your two hands, your own two hands. And of course, the repetition of stitching, all that make for this beautiful space for thinking and Um, following new ideas, all as a sort of meditation that we find to be really calming. And there are a lot of other kind of effects that happen that we've noticed. One definitely being a deepening compassion for ourselves, for our own imperfections, for the inevitability of aging. All of these things kind of come up when you're working on fixing something that's falling apart. There's this dominant idea that we must hide all of those imperfections, but mending can turn all of that on its head, especially when we celebrate those imperfections with maybe a beautiful patch or a colorful darn, um, harking to this beautiful repair tradition in Japan called kintsugi, which many people may have heard of that's where a broken dish is glued back together with gold lacquer, really highlighting and kind of celebrating that break instead of hiding it. But there's also this deepening compassion for others that I think comes really naturally when you're caring for a garment that someone else has made or someone else is going to wear that creates this kind of thread of connection between you and them. Even if that person is all the way across the world There's an invitation there to wonder, like, who made this? What might their life be like? How do my choices here affect them? Becomes this moment to explore our interconnectedness. Yeah, I think that sense of deepening compassion and those threads of connection show, it really highlights how in in your book and in your work, you're drawing out this nuanced analysis of our material culture and creating this kind of resistance against the disposability that seems particularly dominant or heightened right now, at least in Western society. So you touched on this a little bit, but if you'd like to expand, how do you think mending can shift our relationship with clothing? Yeah. Yeah. I think mending really invites us to this new intimacy with our clothing and with our wardrobe. Um, I notice myself having to pay closer attention while I wear something or every time I do the laundry. I look for those places in my clothes that might have a little bit of wear and tear showing um, or a new hole. And, you know, this is important because I can mend these little flaws right away instead of letting it get really bad. It's really true, the old saying, this is a stitch in time saves nine. So I come to know my clothes in a different way. That's totally, it's totally just a closeness. And in addition to that, when you are mending your clothes, you become more accustomed to seeing your own hand in your clothing, where You know, we're adding our personal touch to an otherwise fairly generic piece of clothing. This is a really powerful experience of becoming a collaborator instead of just a consumer. 
Um, and this feels especially true when I'm mending something for someone else or they're mending something for me. It becomes this really beautiful conversation in the garment where many hands are creating and recreating and this piece of clothing becomes infused with that intention of care for the garment, but also for the person that's wearing it. And I think in terms of that idea of Mending Life, which is the title of your book too, (laughs) one thing that mending has reflected back to me is that I really feel satisfied when I can fix things like checking things off the list or sort of solving a problem um, and that sense of completion, which in some ways, like you mentioned, you know, a stitch in time and mending can offer that and uh, you can patch the knee of the jeans and wear them again. But then a few months later, the fabric on the upper leg, maybe above the patch, this was on my jeans after I mended them, it started wearing out and I sort of ignored it until, until it really needed reinforcement. And I found that kind of frustrating because I thought that I had fixed this thing and, you know, made a repair. And I thought that that was that and that I could sort of go back to not paying attention to the fabric aging process. And then when I paused and thought about it, I realized that this really had a lot to offer me, a sort of a lesson, because this was right around the time when Shelter in Place started here in California. And it was so humbling to realize that so few things can really be fixed and you know, completely fixed. <laughs> and it's really more about tending and, like you said, being in conversation. So mending has really shown me that kind of perspective shift. It's one of many gifts, I think. And I'm wondering if there are any specific perspective shifts that you have cultivated through mending that you would like to share. Yeah, totally. This is Nina talking now. Um, What you're describing is a common, common experience, and it's one that I've had many times also in my mending journey, and it can be so discouraging. Um, But like you said, also, I think there's a really valuable lesson in there with this idea of tending and you know, just like tending a garden is this ongoing process where you can't just weed it once and then forget about it. Mending's never totally completed. Things are always going to continue to fall apart and wear out. And I think that, you know, our resistance to that fact is really a sign of our resistance to inevitable change and evolution. And also on, you know, the fixation that we have in our culture on product or outcome over process. Um, Mending asks us to embrace change and really work with it instead of against it. But, you know, to go back to your original question, I think the biggest perspective shift we've noticed with mending, both in ourselves and in um, students that we've taught, is that it's almost like when someone tastes the empowering feeling they get from mending their clothes, they kind of start to see the world through something we like to call mending goggles, where there's like this shift in how we view other broken or damaged things around us where we, you know, first we realize we can fix our clothes and then we can, maybe we can try to fix a toaster or a broken lamp. Um, You know, even expanding that to relationships, maybe we can dig deep for, to forgive someone that we're at odds with or, you know, looking at it through an ecological lens, maybe we can restore the soil health in our backyard, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, I think it just, it helps us start to realize that we really have this incredible capacity to be real agents of healing in so many ways. And we're really gifted with uh, kind of a natural ingenuity that many of us 
don't tap into. Thank you. I, I love that idea of mending goggles. <laughs> um, such a great sort of catch-all for that lens. Shifting gears a little bit, um, you also illustrated the book, and it's such a mesmerizing style to me. I really love reviewing the pages and the tutorials because there's so much texture and it's such a work of art. And the two of you are also artists working independently and together, and your printmaking and illustration work often follows ecological themes around native plants and connecting to nature and seasons and place. I'm curious if or how you see your mending practice and the different mending techniques and teachings that you offer as connected to that sense of place and ecological knowledge. Yeah, I think it's absolutely connected and it's, it's really connected through this mindset that we've kind of been touching on. Clothing is really our second skin and yet so many of us are really removed from where and how and of what and by whom our clothes were made. And, you know, it's, just like with our food and especially meat in the industrial agriculture system, the whole process of how our clothes are produced is, is really hidden from us, from view. And this puts us at a really disconnected place to be where what we put in and on our bodies has often come from far away and is made by unfamiliar hands and often in terrible conditions. And I think in that context, mending becomes almost the spiritual act of honoring the people who labored to bring our clothes into being and also the plants and animals that gave themselves and contributed to our clothes creation. And this honoring process comes through this meditation that happens when you're mending and this closeness and new intimacy that you develop through mending. But it's also coming through just for, in a very practical way through not throwing something away um, that has a very small hole in it and buying something new to replace it. So there's this deepening of relationship and connection that's really akin to the cultivation of a, you know, a robust relationship with place and the ecology of place. So yeah, there, I think our artistic practice and our um, ecological practice and our mending practice are all interwoven. On that theme of sense of place, I saw on online through your Instagram, you both shared that you relocated and left the Pacific Northwest to move to, I believe, different spots in the Midwest. And I'm wondering if that sense of place, you know, how that is developing in your move and if, if you're seeing changes or how that might be impacting your work as artists and maybe your work as menders or gardeners. Uh, we both grew up in the Midwest, like we might have mentioned in outside of Chicago in the suburbs. And then we moved away after high school for many, many years. So this this uh, recent move has been a real return to the Midwest. So there's this whole process of rediscovery that has been evolving. That's been really exciting. Like we've noticed like all these smells that were from childhood that we hadn't, you know, revisited before. And we had really made a home for ourselves in the Pacific Northwest and felt very at home there, but there's this like deep, deep, um, like deep memory, deep memory going on through the return to the Midwest that has been really beautiful and, and a whole process of rediscovery of the Midwestern trees and insects. Like we've heard more insects here in the Midwest than we heard ever in the Pacific Northwest, just these amazing little observations. So while everything feels new to be, you know, taken out of 
what we knew for 10, 12 years, it's also this uh, very familiar sense. Yeah, which, I mean, both of us kind of took on a little practice of doing like a land walk wherever we were. Nina's in Indiana and I'm in Kentucky. And um, both of us are fortunate enough to have some green spaces around us. And so like first thing first, walk around and ask someone who knows or walk around with a little guidebook and like learn the trees that are around. And it just, it helps to ground us. It helped to ground us and kind of start that process of like learning the place where we are and um, yeah, just begin that like finding home again feeling. Thank you so much for sharing that, that sense of deep connection. And that idea of the land walk made me think of perhaps a parallel of kind of assessing a garment when, when it's ready for repair and really getting to know, you know, how the fabric is made and, and where it, that kind of assessment process to analyze how to best reinforce and repair something. Would you say that's part of your practice? Do you kind of create a pathway with a garment? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, just by, by deciding that we're going to take on the task of fixing something, it requires so much like noticing how it was made in the first place. Um, Oftentimes I find myself really examining how a seam was put together by someone in order to figure out how to fix it. And so again, harking back to that feeling of like um, really learning your clothes in a new way. Yeah, it's just like examining and trying to understand the different fibers that it's made out of in order to figure out what might be best to fix it with. And if you choose to kind of hide the mend, like how to recreate a pattern or a color it ju- it really is a different kind of um, conversation to have with this thing that you may never think about that's you carry around with you all day. Yeah, absolutely. It brings so much attention to the level of detail. And I think that's also part of maybe a growing awareness of the ecological impact of clothing and textiles. And it's, it's really just monumental when you hear the figures and some of the emerging research and the sheer volume of stuff. I think it's, it is easy to have kind of what we wear almost blend into our daily lives to the point that we don't quite think about it. But there are these reports coming out over the past couple of years that clothing brands have been burning excess inventory or there's a statistic from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation report from a couple of years ago that the equivalent of one dumpster truck full of textiles is sent to the landfill every second around the world. And here in California, there's 1.4 million metric tons of textile waste produced each year. And that's such a big number. So I started looking for how to put that into perspective. And I calculated that it's actually heavier than the weight of the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge combined, which are these two huge bridges spanning our local area. And with these really mind-boggling numbers, it can seem to totally dwarf the effort of mending one pair of pants or really getting to know that one seam uh, or even really dedicating ourselves to one person's whole wardrobe. But I love the way you two have written about this idea and particularly some of what you've shared, um, I believe, on Instagram 
And I'm curious if you could expand on what you think the role and value of individual action is when it comes to mending and repair. Yeah, I mean, we really feel like uh, no action's too small to matter. I do think there is a compounding effect when many, many people do something small, small acts of care like mending. And, you know, there is a tangible difference in something even like the staggering problem of textile waste. But equally important, although maybe more immeasurably, I think these small acts are really changing our culture. And this, you know, the widespread enthusiasm for mending right now that we're witnessing is such a sign of this culture shift underway. And that wave, that gigantic wave is made up of thousands of individuals learning to mend and sharing their mends with others and being proud of their mends. And you know, to us, this is really an indication of kind of an awakened cultural conscious happening and also the veil being lifted on these, these crises, these humanitarian environmental crises that are you know, being contributed to by the fast fashion industry. Um, and also a real resistance to the disposability and irreverence that has been dominating our culture for so long, you know, for the past few decades. I love that visual of the wave of mending. So if someone was ready to get started, maybe join that wave, maybe they're listening to this conversation and feeling ready to give it a try. I'm wondering if you have recommendations for particular projects or repair styles that you think are ideal for first time mending. Totally. Um, In our workshops that we've taught, we've witnessed the most kind of aha moment when students learn to repair their own sock. It seems like this is the ideal kind of gateway mend um, just because it's so rewarding to actually fix something so essential that they probably thought was totally hopeless and was headed for the trash can. Um, And actually darning is pretty simple and really easy to learn. Um, even for those who are new to sewing, because it's basically this mixture of the most basic sewing stitch, the running stitch, and this technique of weaving, you know, going over and under and over and under, and then reversing that under, over, under, over. Much easier to learn when you kind of see it visually. But, you know, if you can seek out someone who knows how to do it, or let's say a book or even a YouTube video, um, it's pretty easy to to catch on. And something else we love about darning and mending in general is that there's actually very minimal tools that are required. Many of them you may already have at your house, such as a needle, a thread, a scrap of cloth, a little extra ball of yarn. So for example, for darning, if someone was looking to get started with a project like that, you could use a darning needle, which is helpful because it has a large eye for the yarn and a dull tip. Just a little scrap of yarn and um, a special tool for darning. A sock would be a darning egg and it helps to kind of keep the shape of the heel as you darn, but you don't actually need that specialty tool. You can use something ordinary like um, an orange or an old fashioned light bulb or an onion And that helps to keep the shape of the heel as you darn. So whenever we teach mending, we always teach a lesson in darning because it's just so satisfying for beginners. So I'd recommend that as a kind of place to start. And I'm realizing, I know, like you mentioned, it might be hard on audio for people who are unfamiliar with these practices to really 
understand them or kind of get a grasp. Um, so there's definitely lots of tutorials out there and even the hashtags on Instagram of visible mending or mending, even just plain and simple, um, are really great places to start. Could you sort of define the term or describe what you mean when you say darning versus maybe other types of mending or patching or something like that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So patching would be taking a piece of fabric and sewing it onto usually a woven piece of fabric like a jean or a shirt. Um, whereas darning is a technique of repairing knit material where it has started to deteriorate or there's a hole. So something stretchy like your hat or your sweater that was yarns knit together. Darning would be the technique you would use to recreate the fabric there in those compromised areas, basically. And when it comes to tackling that ever-growing mending pile, maybe things that need to be darned and things that need to be patched, I'll be honest (laughs) that I wanted to ask you this out of my own interest because your book helped open doors to a whole world of different styles of stitching and repairing. And then as I started looking around, I realized I had a stack of jeans and socks and pillowcases and sweaters. And so I was wondering what your approach is to keeping in rhythm with the mending needs that arise. Ah, yes, the ever-growing mending pile. (laughs) We both have one of those, you know, for our own clothes. And then if you add in family and friends who give us their mending too, it's, you know, it's, it's always, it's always there. It's always growing. It's always growing. Um, you know, the way that I like to deal with that is just by carrying my mending kit and a garment to mend around with me kind of at all times. I find that there are, you know, even in a busy day, it feels like there are, are still moments when I could pick up my mending. And maybe this is outdated because a lot of people are at home and they actually have more time to mend. But pre-COVID, you know, on a train ride or waiting in line at the DMV or even you know, sitting around with friends or family, um, or I guess now during a Zoom hangout or something, there's always these moments that maybe you would otherwise be looking at your phone, but, you know, there's time to get a few stitches in and, and chip away at that mending pile. And so I think, you know, it's kind of like, I don't really see it as work. I see it as like busy hands and almost leisure, like allowing my thoughts to unwind or just relaxing. And so it's kind of, it's how, how we look at it, work or leisure. Um, And I always think it's funny, like when someone sees a mend on my clothes, often they'll ask how long it took. You know, if you were watching a TV show or something, no one would ever say like, how long was that show? Or how long did it take you to watch that show? So people really, I think, perceive mending as work, but maybe sometimes it feels like that, maybe not. And I think that if you're thinking in terms of time or convenience, as our culture so often does, mending always loses out because there's always a faster, easier way, um, which is replacement. But if you really consider the true cost of buying something new, which falls on the environment and the people who make our clothes, taking an hour or two to mend really feels worth it. And then there's all these personal opportunities that would otherwise be missed that we've talked about a little bit you know, growing, evolving, deepening relationship, learning to trust ourselves, learning resiliency. Oh, and also we just, speaking of true costs, I wanted to recommend that fantastic documentary 
um, it's called True Cost, that reveals a lot of the hard truths about the fast fashion industry. So I think it's on Netflix. You can find yeah, it's pretty easy to find and it's really worth watching. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe while mending, because it's, yeah. it's a bit of a hard hitting movie. I've seen it a couple of times and it's still, it's just very visceral, viscerally impacting, I think. Would you both be interested in sharing either a, a favorite practice, like a particular technique that that always uh, that you come back to or that you find inspiring or a project, a mending project that stands out in your mind as a, a favorite for any particular reason? I mean, I think, you know, harking back to that initial kind of gateway project, I think even though now at this point I've darned so many socks for myself and for others, like it's still so satisfying to darn a sock. And I've started to really have fun with color and um, try to layer my darning as, as I go along. So like, let's say, you know, this time I'm going to mend it in green, but in next spring when I mend it, I'm going to mend it in red. And it kind of like creates this multicolored fun. Honestly, will probably eventually not be wearable anymore, but as they grow and change and kind of go through time, like just become more, more pleasurable. So Anyways, darning still has that magic for me, even though I've done it a lot. So it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And for me, I think when I've dipped my toe into mending things other than clothing, like a straw hat, for example, my, my gardening hat, that was like, you know, there's a big hole in this, in the straw. I'm like, I don't even know. How do I, this is like, should I throw this away? Like, I don't know how to fix this, but then to just like work with hemp thread and try to patch it up and reweave it and um, then have it be functional again, even though it wasn't like perfect looking and um, is this extremely satisfying. And I've had the same experience with a basket that I own that I thought I couldn't fix. And, you know, it's just, it's so much fun to, to be able to keep those things that I love and to be able to add some more personality to them, I guess. <laughs> or like jumping off what Nina just said, sometimes there'll be um, a project like the straw hat that we don't know how to mend and it'll be this opportunity to go mm-hmm. online to the mending community and just kind of like search, what did someone else do to solve this problem? Like, did mm-hmm. someone else have an ingenious solution? And in the straw hat project, there's like some people who have used um, daylily leaves, dried daylily leaves, um, and they are long and thin and really tough and actually almost imitate the straw. Um, And so those are woven to close up a hole or mend a tear. Um, And that was just like mind-blowing and a total adventure to try to find a different solution, a new material, um, so it can send you on a journey. And then you're, really you cool. find yourself waiting for the next hole in the straw hat so you can try the day lilies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Day lilies in the gardening hat. That sounds like a great match. Um, what are some of those resources you turn to? Do you have recommendations for when, when people might be starting a journey to research a more obscure mend? 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, Instagram is just a wealth of knowledge and the visible mending hashtag that you mentioned is a really great thing to explore. Um, it really gets very broad. There, of course, are lots of textile men's on there, but then people have used it to ex describe other kinds of men's too. Um, and there are a few um, weavers that I follow that um, had that idea. They weave with natural um, materials. So again, just searching on Instagram for kind of like uh, those different craftspeople and um, sewists basically. Um, is one of the greatest sources of inspiration to us. A few names would be Celia Pym and even Katrina Rodebaugh and some other kind of names in the mending world that are doing interesting things. And through them, they sometimes will share other resources too. So it can be this ongoing kind of digging deeper through other people's accounts and keeping tabs on that hashtag though is definitely a good place to start. Great. And when people are maybe looking on Instagram or elsewhere online, uh, where can they find more about what you're up to and um, your mending practices and all the other artwork and beautiful things you share? Yeah. Um, well, of course, we are on Instagram. Um, we're pretty active on there and that's where we share a lot of our mending projects and we have some mini tutorials. Um, we're there as the far woods. And then of course, our book Mending Life is available at many, many different indie bookstores all around the country and in the UK. And of course, it's available at the big bookstores too. And we're also on Etsy where we sell our screen prints and we have mending kits for sale there. And then lastly, but not least, we also have a Patreon community um, that we'd love anyone to join that, um, where we offer some behind the scenes in our studio and processes of new projects. So we try to go a little deeper and behind the scenes there. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you I love you. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you I love Thank you for listening to this episode of Soil to Soil, a podcast by Fibershed, which is a nonprofit organization based in Northern California on the traditional and ancestral territory of the Coast Miwok and Southern Pomo people. We invite you to learn more about our work and the concepts described here by visiting www.fibershed.org. There you can join our email newsletter so you'll get the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. You can search for Fibershed on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can learn more about Nina and Sonia's work, as they mentioned, on thefarwoods.com. And as they shared, they are active on Instagram, and they are so generous with tutorials and inspiration and the artwork that they put together. So check them out. They are at The Far Woods, and they are now on this platform called Patreon. If you're not familiar, it's a way you can support artists directly. So their community is patreon.com slash thefarwoods. We'll have links to these pages and so much more in the show notes including some mending video tutorials and where you can find their book, Mending Life. It means so much to us that you're listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening, if you will leave us a rating and review, it helps us reach more people. And we love to see what's resonating with you. So please share on social media your notes or what's standing out to you and 
and how it's landing. The show is produced by Fibershed with support from Whetstone Media and music by Aaron Harris, who is a member of the Northern California Fibershed Producer Network. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the Soil to Soil podcast. We'd like to thank Jess Daniels and the team at Fibershed for letting us share this episode with you. Today's episode was produced by Tanya Marion, alongside Catherine Yeager and Mary Pafford. Special thanks to Catherine Yeager for introducing us to this episode. To listen to other shows in the network, like Generation Carbon, our show for kids, visit thecarbonalmanac.org slash kids. Here you'll find the latest episode and how Gen C science-minded reporters can get featured on a future episode. Thank you for listening today. See you next time.